everybody. It's then again with Ken and Glenn. Glenn. Yay. And and another friend of ours, Abraham Lincoln. Yay. Uh, uh, metaphorically, not literally. Uh, and here's the thing. I'm just going to go ahead and commandeer this one right off the top. I'm just going to. And you know why, Glenn? Because Lincoln's my man. I, I portray Lincoln for our webisodes and webcasts and things like that. And then also do him in our museum theater programs. Uh, and, and he's someone that, you know, we all have our favorite people in history or people that, you know, we know a little bit about. And then you start studying them and suddenly you realize, wow, there's, there's even more to this person than I thought. And Lincoln is one of those guys for me. And, you know, I've done him, I guess, maybe at least scores, perhaps a couple of hundred times. Four score, perhaps. Four score. Nice. Nice. But one of the things that always just is the anger making, fist shaking in the air, saying girl a lot with me, with Lincoln, is the misquoting. And, and, and I'm not talking about just quotes that he didn't say or misattributions or things like that, but it's when a partial quote is given. And you know the one I'm about to read, don't you? Probably. Well, <laughs> let's, let's see I, I, know of, I know of one, of one of the three. Which do you think? Is it is it going to be the, if I could yep, free yep, all the yep, slaves yep, yep. Glenn's got it. Ding, ding, ding. Glenn wins. Bring all the aliens together <laughs> exactly. in church. And that <laughs> I would do yes. it. So uh, one of the quotes that I see a lot, and Glenn, I know you see a lot, that, that we see with neo-Confederates or people that want to downplay slavery or the freeing of slaves as part of this war is uh, a letter that Lincoln wrote to Horace Greeley that was published in the paper and was written to be published. Lincoln was a very, very smart guy when it came to PR. And uh, he's talking about, you know, what is being done to save the Union and why is this war being fought? Because even by the summer of 1862, you know, there's the, it's, the heads are budding. Is this about saving the Union or is it about freeing slaves? Which is it? Which is it? It's already there. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was, I was going to say yeah, yeah. it's important because in all the, the you know, the cornerstone yeah. speech of, about the South, the South, it's, it's pretty much saying slavery is the cornerstone of, of why we're seceding. Right. The states' rights about slavery. But in the North, the slavery, it's, it's interesting, the slavery issue is not the be-all, end-all. It's pretty obvious. Right. As you say, they're wrestling with, right. we're going to war. But right. what what do we hope the outcome will be? Right, exactly. And so here's a here here's the quote. Let's see, my my paramount object object. I almost said objective and realized. Well, he was, was a lawyer. He my, objects. My my paramount object in this struggle is to save the union, and it is not either to save or to destroy slavery. If I could save the union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because I believe it helps to save the Union. And what I forbear, I forbear because I do not believe would help to save the Union. Now, people will grab that and say, see, Lincoln was a hypocrite. Lincoln didn't care about the slaves. Lincoln wasn't really, uh, you know, against slavery, la, la, la. And they leave off the last sentence of that paragraph, which is, I have here stated my purpose according to my view of official duty, and I intend no modification of my off-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free. Lincoln is drawing a, a Lincoln is drawing a very, very specific, precise, and well-reasoned and publicized line between 
what my duties as the sworn chief executive of this country are and what my personal beliefs are. And I'm not going to simply force my personal beliefs by diktat. Then, then I'm a dictator and an autocrat, not an elected president. And there's, there's another little thing right here. Uh, in, a, in another letter in 1864, he writes, uh, this guy named Albert Hodges, and yet I have never understood that the presidency conferred upon me an unrestricted right to act officially upon the judgment and feeling of slavery. I mean, he's, well, he's, so, he's so consistent with saying, look, yeah, I do want to free the slaves. I've always wanted, thought that slavery was wrong, and, and, and that's something that runs through decades of his writings and speeches. But I can't simply govern based on my feelings. However, <laughs> he was a clever enough philosopher, lawyer, legal mind, All whatever you want to call things, it, to say, yeah. oh, look— it is perfectly within the realm of rationality that my personal beliefs coincide with my with what I see as my duty as the chief executive. Absolutely, Glenn. And now, I, and, and I, I'm not I'm not saying he was a hypocrite. And right, a, right. No, and you're, a, you're and a duality, but he he could understand and right. phrase things in such a way. And the, in his world, that's why we're so. Fu- one reason we're so fascinated with him <laughs> right. is his worldview is complex and right. it reflects the character of the American spirit. It does. And you're touching on something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. God help those of you that have listened before. But when we've talked before about George Washington and the founders and the concept of enlightened self-interest. And what you just touched on is, yeah, Lincoln has this personal belief but he sees a way that his personal belief can be yoked to the national good without forcing the national good. And note, it's, we're talking about his personal belief and not his personal benefit in his pocket. Ag- absolutely. He, he, he wasn't going to make a dime off of this. This was a pure, right. dare we say it, moral crusade. <laughs> we dare. I think um, we dare say it. And that's, and, and, you know, you, this is the best quote to use for that, but... But your man Lincoln, like mm-hmm. my man Jefferson, yeah. people who go and and look and cherry pick quotes from these people, right? Any group can find the quote they need to justify their position, yep. because they're cherry picking quotes. Yep. And and Lincoln Lincoln is certainly subject to such yeah vagaries. Absolutely. And uh, in, in mentioning Jefferson, you know he gets he gets raked over the coals a lot for. And in, in we have we done it? We haven't done a Jefferson. No. We got we got to do a seven parter on Jefferson. Go ahead and write that down. Leva, clear the schedule for the month of J- January. Just a whole month, nothing but Jefferson. But you know, Lincoln looks back to these guys. He looks back to Jefferson. He looks back to what what did Jefferson mean when he wrote "All men are created equal." Right. And he does a great speech where he says, "When we say that, do we mean created equal in height, in intellect, in strength? No." We mean equal in their access to rights, their, the, the, right. that they have rights. Everyone's equal in their entitlement to rights, to human rights. So he, so, and, and Jefferson himself in that letter in the 1820s, he actually says that, or works yeah, to that it, effect. It, it's, yeah, he said, you know, if, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But, of course, all men are not created equal. Some, some men are smarter than others. Right. Some men are born into money. Some men just have... We, well, he didn't say genes, but they're just—they right. have good, excellent stature and health, right, right. and some do not. Right. Equal before the law. It's the seed of the Fourteenth Amendment. Right. Is what they're both trying to trying right. to get at. Right. And and 
you know, so Lincoln looks back to Jefferson, and anyone who wants to say Jefferson didn't understand that, well, he, he did. He wrote it. Uh, now, just that mere phrase, you know, got kicked around quite a bit by, by, you know, everyone in the decades leading up to the Civil War. But Lincoln also looks back to another one of your boys, Jackson. Right. Uh, Jackson, yes. you, you got to understand, in the eighteen in, in the nineteenth century, Jackson didn't have the moral opprobrium he's got now. Jackson's still a national hero. Exactly, and uh, and for and one of the reasons is that he, in Lincoln's mind, takes action to defend the Union. He's the guy that faces down, you know, John C. Calhoun, and God help you if you're going to face down John C. Calhoun. He's a South Carolinian, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but Jackson says, look, no, this is not going to happen. You're not going to nullify laws. If you nullify laws, then why do we have a, why do we have a constitution in a country? Right. And, and, he's very, and his approach was very different from Lincoln's. Very, very different, very different, <laughs> although Jackson does a lot of man, uh, uh, maneuvering behind the scenes that people don't realize. He does. He, I mean, he's, he's, no, he's nobody's dummy either. And, and Lincoln also looks back to Washington with the concept of the enlightened self-interest. But above all, what Lincoln is trying to espouse to the American people is, is something that goes back to the Romans and this, this concept of civic duty. Civic, he, it, in some speech or letter, Lincoln actually says, you know, that, 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 that civic duty should, should be a non-theistic religion. It should, it should be our secular religion for the country. We should believe so much in the institutions we've created, and we've got to be so dedicated to making them work properly for everyone that it amounts to a secular religion. And it's and that's you know, a, all the great American minds have basically <laughs> have, have basically carried that forward. But this right. But but again, everyone can cherry pick what these people say. I mean, you were talking about Washington. Yeah. You know, Washington, the father of the United States. Who gets put on the seal of the Confederacy? George Washington. <laughs> George Washington. The man who, in a letter in the 1790s to a friend, when that friend was bandying about, you know, what if there were to be secession about the slavery issue? Because they were already talking about it in the 1790s. Washington said, I would side with those who free the slaves. And yet, and yet, the Confederacy says, no, he's our hero, because he was born in Virginia. <laughs> and he led a popular and successful exactly. revolution against tyranny, just like we're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. So, you know, we're casting a wide net with some of these uh, uh, references here. But Lincoln himself cast a wide net. L- Lincoln, Lincoln was friends to an astounding array of people. He, he was amazingly well-educated. For someone who went to school maybe a grand total of 12 months in his entire life. He did it by reading. Yes. Kids, all you folks who want to know how to get an education, there are, just There are these read things books. called books and magazines and periodicals. And yeah, he did. Uh, you know, and his, his mother and then his stepmother taught him to read. And then he and his stepmother encouraged him constantly in his reading. And, and he, he himself says in later years that it's, it's, his, it's both of his mothers that really instilled in him that drive to learn and to read. And, uh, and I think something could be said for him. For, and this is just me armchair psychoanalyzing in a chair that doesn't have any arms because <laughs> we're in a studio. But I think his, his yearning for self-improvement certainly comes from the fact that the mother that taught him to read and encouraged him to be educated dies before she can see the fruit of what she started. And, that's, that's, and he's very—I mean, he, it's well-known. He, he articulates very clearly his devotion to he's both of his mothers. Mama. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he is. And I just love some of the stories about him when he's, when he's out there 
he, he, he'll plow an acre, stop, read a book. Plow an acre, stop, <laughs> right. read a book. That's what he'll do. Or he's out there, you know, you know the, the famous rail splitter. Because uh, the man was brain and brawn. Yes, he uh, was. Back you know, in he, the day. He, he's out there, you know, chopping, 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 and then he'll stop and read a book. And, and, and he himself, in some of his later reminiscences, talks about, you know, the neighbors would—, would he knew that the neighbors made fun of him and thought he was lazy because they would see him out in the field reading a book. They didn't see the, you know, the the ten cords of wood he just chopped. They just saw this lanky guy leaning, leaning up against up in, the, in, in the shade of a tree, <laughs> reading a book. But that development of mind and body, I love it because it gives rise to one of my favorite Lincoln anecdotes, and that's when he's uh, he's touring uh, Grant's army. Uh, you know, things are winding down. It's it's it's. Uh, I think this is. It's either February or March of '65, and you know the troops loved him. They the, they the troops the troops lo- and, and you you really gosh people a lot of people in the country civilians in the country hated Lincoln and everything he tried to accomplish, but the, but the troops ooh, pretty much loved him. They they recognized him as one of their own. They saw him actually come visit. They 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 heard him the way he talked to the generals. I mean, they're like, this is our guy. This is our guy. He's a hard scrabble farm boy who's running the show. I mean, what, 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 what troop wouldn't love that? So, so he's visiting, and uh, one of the uh, some private called out to him, "Hey, Uncle Abe, why don't you show us uh, how to split a log?" And in, you know, Lincoln instantly <laughs> takes off the top hat and his coat. He grabs the log. He grabs the axe. He splits a couple of logs, and the men just they're just going nuts. And then he said, and and he says something to the effect of, "Well, you know, l- look at this, fellows." And he, and he he stretches his arm out, holding the axe by the very tip of the handle. And this is you know like a five pound splitting maul he's holding, and he just holds it out for like two minutes, just outstretched. Now I don't know if any of you have ever been to a gym <laughs> where they've got the exercise axes. <laughs> But you try holding out a That's, few pounds straight without flinching, and he and he just holds it and and evidently continues talking to other people, <laughs> and then he finally tosses the axe aside and goes on with the generals and, and the troops, the soldiers in that in that platoon. They just instantly they're all just they're grabbing the axe and they're trying to let me see if I can do it, and none of them can do it for more than like thirty seconds. They're like, holy crap, this guy. That's that's Abe, but. But the thing is, something like that, I think, illustrates a lot of things. One, that he never personally lost that sort of rural joy of showing off and, and physical right. exploits. I mean, he had the reputation he of being a great folksy. wrestler. I mean, he that's, was, he is the that's epitome it. of the word in, folksy. In the best possible meaning of that word, he was. But it also shows he knows every one of those boys is going to tell every other boy they see in that army, do you see what Lincoln did the other day? Man, he's – yeah, that's – it's yep. going to reinforce his connection. So, so once again, he's and doing his ability to be reelected. <laughs> his ability to be reelected. He was a consummate like, politician. He Don't was. Think he, wouldn't. he absolutely yes. was. So, you know, and there and there are tons of anecdotes like that where he's you know relates to people. One one of my favorite things where he relates to somebody is is uh, another one of my favorite people from the nineteen. Well, just one of my favorite people is his meetings and interactions with uh, Frederick Douglass because you know Frederick. It's pretty, pretty stern judge of people. <laughs> yes, and you know when and he no physical slacker himself. No physical slacker himself. As a matter of fact, to see how good a fighter he was, check out our webisode. <laughs> little, right. It's just the it's just Fred, Frederick Douglass, right? Visit our webpage. But Douglass, you know, you know, Douglass is a hardliner. He wants he wants emancipation and he wants it now. And he felt that Lincoln came tardy, that he was dragging his feet. 
when, when he first met him. He came to see, you know, actually this guy is operating under conditions and pressures that I have no inkling of. And so uh, the oration he did in memory of Lincoln after Lincoln was assassinated, I'm, I'm going to read this because it's just, it's, just, it's just fantastic. It, it, shows, it shows a couple of things. It shows the esteem that Lincoln was held in by someone who had been an adversary and then met him and then grew to like him. And it shows that Frederick Douglass, you know, was able to change his mind in the face of evidence, the evidence being, oh, Lincoln delivered. So here we go. The quote is, his great mission was to accomplish two things. First, to save his country. And, you know, that's... Right, that's what... uh, To save his country from dismemberment and ruin. And second, to free his country from the great crime of slavery. To do one or the other or both, he must have the earnest sympathy and the powerful cooperation of his fellow countrymen. Without this primary and essential condition to success, his effort must have been vain and utterly fruitless. Had he put the abolition of slavery before the salvation of the Union, he would have inevitably driven from him a powerful class of the American people and rendered resistance to rebellion impossible. That's pretty well stated. That's from Frederick Douglass. That's from Frederick Douglass, exactly. Basically saying, he didn't free all the slaves all at once when I wanted him to? Well, I get it. Yeah, I get it. He was right. Viewed from the genuine abolition ground, Mr. Lincoln seemed tardy, cold, dull, and indifferent. But measuring him by the sentiment of his country, a sentiment he was bound as a statesman to consult, he was swift, zealous, radical, and determined. Once again, he gets it. Taking him for all in all, measuring the tremendous magnitude of the work before him, considering the necessary means to ends, and surveying the end from the beginning— Infinite wisdom has seldom sent any man into the world better fitted for his mission than Abraham Lincoln. I, Glenn, we've we've talked, I, I know a lot just around just around the office, uh, you know, about how Lincoln was indeed the perfect president at that moment to save the Union, and, and we've talked about the compare and contrast Lincoln and Davis, Jefferson Davis, the Confederacy president, and in a lot of ways. Jefferson Davis was the type of president the Confederacy needed for some of its goals. But ultimately, he didn't win. He didn't win. And, and oh, and see, that's the thing. This is why Lincoln, I think, stands not just at the top of the American pantheon, but really the world pantheon. Because when you go back and look through history, the truly great leaders, truly great, are not the ones who have conquered they're not the ones who have been autocrats. They're the ones who have built a coalition amongst disparate ideals or peoples and been able to accomplish a grand goal. And, and those are rare. Yeah. Those are rare people. And of all the disparate people to lead towards a penultimate goal, Lincoln and the preservation of the Union and the 13th Amendment, ending right. slavery in the United States— that's up there, maybe on the top. I mean, you know, call in yeah. and argue with us, please. But, <laughs> yeah, but, call in. Call in. Phones are it off a phone. <laughs> <laughs> phones are upstairs where we can't hear them. Ring. Well, but you, but you can argue with us on Facebook. That's so true. Please do. Um, but yeah, but yeah, and I think that's that's yeah. why he's yeah. he's not just he's not a northern hero. Right. He's not an American hero. He he really is a world guy. I would agree. Yeah, I, I think so, and. 
you know, it's uh, people around the world at the time were shocked and dismayed by his assassination. And, you know, God love the English people, especially the English. The English common folk felt like they had lost one of their own. You know, and and, 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 the, and people who wrestled with him politically. Oh, yeah. Like viciously, yeah. maliciously when he died, they're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, wait man, a second. That's awful. Yeah. Why was I fighting with this guy? Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and, and you know, a lot a lot of that is, is the, the, the pain and, and the right. sense of loss. And that's just it. A lot of these coalition leaders, for, for right. lack of a better right. phrase. Right. People don't realize how awesome they have been until the goal is right. accomplished and or they die. Right. And, you know, this this whole thing about, you know, him, him as an adversary, uh, you know, Doris Kern Goodwin wrote this great book, uh, Team of Rivals, which is about Lincoln and, and him putting his cabinet together because, you know, he appointed to his cabinet men he had just— <laughs> who had just tried to get the Republican presidential nomination, and he'd gotten instead of literally people that six months, eight months before had been, this Lincoln's an idiot, and I'm not going to let him America get a nomination. America will, will crumble right. to dust if we elect him. How did he get the nomination instead of me? And he got it. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, let's close up with that. It's, you know, Seward is, is the great example. Former governor of New York, He he's the guy. This 1860s, my year. I get the nomination this year. This is I'm, what Lincoln got it. Oh, that ham-fisted yokel, you know. And and then he's you know giving advice to him, you know, in the interim between election and inauguration, saying, well, you know, you'll just be a figurehead, and I'll because he gives him Secretary of State. Because right. well, I'll, I'll I see this more as I'll be sort of a prime minister, and you'll just be a figure, and you know, and and within and Lincoln's within, probably like, okay, yeah, sure, sure. If that's sure. what you think is going to happen, sure, that's that's fine. You no, can think that. No reason to fight about it now. But but within three months of inauguration, Seward is writing to his wife about the depth of Lincoln's genius and says he is the best among us. Boom, there you go. And I think that's uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. Yep. And uh, remember to email in with picking arguments with us, and uh, <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Then Again with Ken and Glenn is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. If you've enjoyed listening to Then Again with Ken and Glenn, please make sure that you subscribe and help us out by writing a review. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.